Heavenly Father, as always, we come before you with praise and adoration. God, you are holy. There's none like you. It's through your grace that we can come to you. So we praise you and thank you, Lord. God, we lift up to you the people of Alaska. We thank you for the opportunity to go and share your good news, to study your word, to draw closer to you amongst your beautiful creation there, Lord. We thank you and praise you for that. And lift up the people of Alaska, the Fireweed Ministry team and the Bodolowski family. We lift them up to you, Lord. We pray for other nations around the world, Lord, not only our country, but so many others that are dealing with this pandemic and all the other crises and problems, just the sin in the world, Lord. We lift up to you the nations of this world. Lord, we lift up our nation to you. We ask for wisdom for our leaders, for guidance, for humility, that people would turn to you and be obedient to love one another to be who you've called us to be as your people. We pray for our city, for our brothers and sisters right here in our community, Lord, so many of whom don't know you yet, Lord. Help us to reach out to them, to be your light, to be your truth, to be your love and grace here in our our local community. And Lord, we thank you for this body here at Hope Point. Uh, We lift this body up to you, ask for your protection, for your encouragement, for your boldness to go with your love and mercy to this community, to this nation, and to this world to bring the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, whether it's far or near in our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our work, that you would make us bold for you, Lord. That's our prayer. As we come to you now, Lord, to hear your word, we thank you for the gift of scripture, the gift of being able to gather again to hear your word, may it impact us deeply to encourage us and allow us to uh, live on mission for you this week. It's in your son's holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you are an old person like myself, you remember there were times in life where you could go to the grocery store and there weren't a lot of choices of, um, of, of coffee. Um, when I was growing up, we primarily in our house used Maxwell House, and that's about there was. And you remember they're known for their famous saying, it's good to the last drop. According to Maxwell House lore, that, occurred, that uh, saying occurred when President Theodore Roosevelt was on the um, estate of uh, Andrew Jackson and finished a cup of coffee and said, my goodness, this coffee is good to the last drop. This is precisely what the Bible teaches about God. He is good through and through. In him there is no darkness at all. Just some verses. Could have found a hundred of them. We'll look at a few of them. First Corinthians Chronicles 16.34. Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His mercy endures forever. Psalm 25.8. Good and upright is the Lord. Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 119, you are good, and what you do is good. Over the past few weeks, we have looked at the attributes of God as we're going through our core beliefs. What do we really believe about God? We have seen that God is eternal, supreme, sovereign, transcendent, eminent, powerful, and wise. And today, we want to see the attribute of God that he is good. 
The pain of this world is so intense that there are a lot of voices, voices out there and voices in here that will cause you to debate that and to dispute that, is God good? So we want to wrap this message around three demonstrations of God's goodness, his beautiful creation, his daily provision, and his eternal redemption. That's how God reveals his goodness, or we could say it this way, God is good in the fact that he creates the world, sustains the world, and saves the world. So let's start at the beginning because that's where God begins to introduce this concept that I am good. So the scripture starts off with sort of an overarching statement, sort of a press release from heaven, I'm about to create. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Then the rest of Genesis chapter 1 is sort of going back to the newscast and unfolding of how he did verse 1. And six times in these verses, God makes sure that we understand what he did was good. <clears throat> Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Obviously, God doesn't need light, but he was working on a project. Spoiler alert, you. You would need light, and so he created light as a visible demonstration of his goodness to us. Then day three, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and God saw that it was good. So at this time, the earth was covered with nothing but water, and God contrasted the water by creating land, not just for the aesthetic function of beauty, but for a place for us to live. If not, you would be listening to me today while floating on a raft. Aren't you glad you were on terra firma? Day four of creation. And again, on that, and God saw that it was good. Day four, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. And it was so, and God saw all of that vegetation as good. That would include about 400,000 species of plants and 60,000 species of trees. And God said, that is a demonstration of my goodness. Then we come to day five. Let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth. And God saw that it was good. That would be 34,000 species of fish and 10,000 species of birds. I wish we could stop today that you could look and we could learn together at the beautiful structure, the, the engineering structure, why birds are able to fly. It's magnificent demonstration of God's goodness. Then day six, and God said, let the land produce living creatures, and God saw that it was good. Latest estimates say there are six million species of animals on earth, one million of those being insects. So God's created a bunch of beautiful things, mountains, beaches, trees, rivers, giraffes, lions, sunsets, bumblebees, and daisies. And God said that they are all good. Now, why did he say, why is all of this? It takes Genesis 1, the whole chapter, to try to tell us from the beginning, I'm a good God. Well, God is invisible. You can't see that unless he does something visible. Goodness is an invisible attribute of God, so God creates visible things as a display of the invisible characteristic of his 
goodness. Also on day six, God created one more thing, very relevant to you. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God saw that he had made, and it was very good. So we changed language here. Up till this time, God says it was good, and now he takes a phrase from Hot Daddy and says it's real good. Why did he do that? Why did he change and amp up good? Because now he's saying, I am so good that the reason that I chose to visibly demonstrate my goodness by visibly creating things is so that man would have things to enjoy and expand his pleasure. That God created everything on earth so that man would enjoy pleasure from the goodness of God. This is how Kevin DeYoung says it. God created so that he might communicate his goodness to us. And I owe Kevin DeYoung a lot for this message. His message on, you can find on YouTube is much better than mine. I thought you'd be mad if I just played his message, but that's what I wanted to do. But remember, when God created, he didn't have to create anything for A hundred trillion years from everlasting before everlasting, he was eternally happy. There was not one whiff of boredom in God in a hundred trillion years. So we see the goodness of God in the sense that a happy God who needs nothing creates everything so that we would be happy. This is the goodness of God. He didn't have to do any of this. Uh, The birds that you enjoy hearing singing in the morning, they are, and by the way, this young girl is our, our, uh, the daughter of our orphanage director in India, a bit older than this now, but the first time she came to the States, we took her to a zoo, and she saw the goodness of God in birds. Those birds that sing to you, they allow you to hear the goodness of God. The flowers that you love to plant or along your, in your gardens and in your house or along this cobblestone street in Amsterdam. These reflect, allow you to see the visible demonstration of the invisible attribute of the goodness of God. Or if you want to travel to Central and South America, we could go look at the morpho butterfly, interesting of, not a more interesting butterfly in the world than out of all 18,000 species of butterflies, none more interesting than this morpho butterfly. Brown wings, when they're folded inward for protection and camouflage, but during mating season, trying to look like a very studly man, the wings come out revealing this blue that is maybe among the most unique Blue in nature. Now, it's very interesting how this happens. The brown wings occur because of the pigment in the butterfly wings. But the blue on the inside, there is no pigment. There is no blue pigment in those wings. It is strictly a structural coloration all along those 
blue wings are thousands and thousands of biophotonic scales that absorb all the colors of the components of light except blue. And therefore, blue is what radiates back to your eyes. And as a matter of fact, this particular butterfly, the morpho butterfly, its wings are so structurally intricate that every time the angle of the sunlight changes, the blue changes to a different shade of blue. Why'd God do that? For you, this morning, you'd see his goodness and experience pleasure because he's good. He creates so that you would see his invisible attribute of his, of his goodness. Last week, we looked at this verse in Job 38, 22. Have you ever entered the treasury of the snow? Or, hey, Job, you ever looked at where snow is made? Obviously, no. It, no, but why would God put that in there? Just to let you know, it's a big deal to make snow. We talked about making rain coming from the clouds. Well, if, it, if that water that's uh, condensing gets too high in the atmosphere, it turns into ice crystals. But the most beautiful thing about ice crystals Water that's frozen, when it's falling through the atmosphere, depending on exactly where it falls, what time it falls, it changes, those, those frozen molecules change into what you know, snowflakes, and there's never been one that is quite alike. All hexagonal, all different shapes, depending on when they come through the atmosphere at what time. Why did he do that? I mean, snow is snow. You could ski either way, make it by man or make it by God. He does this as a demonstration so you could see what's inside of God, his goodness. The pleasure of being beautiful inside of himself, he wants you to experience that pleasure that is a manifestation of his goodness. Um, and you're, the only reason you can see that is because you have eyes that are unbelievably coordinated. Like right now you see these pictures, you're not seeing double. You don't see me as double. Because your eyes, they move 100,000 times a day. Always in sync, which is a miracle. It's the same odds if I had two guns on the, two pistols on the side of, right in my left side in my holster. And I fired them at the same time, 100 yards off, and that bullet, both bullets went through the same hole. That's what it's like for your, your eyes to be able to focus on the same thing at the same time, second after second after second. So God allows you to experience beauty through the miracle of, of sight. So that's what goodness does. Goodness blesses. When we talk about the attribute of God's goodness, let's say this. We'll say the attribute of God's goodness is his generosity. He has all of this beauty inside him, but because he's good, he shares it. So God is generous. He's benevolent. He has a desire to share. So that would be one definition. What does it mean for God to be good? He shares Pleasure-producing beauty from within him. But 
Remember, God creates not just for us to enjoy beauty, but to enjoy beauty with him. Not just to enjoy beauty, but to enjoy beauty with him. We see this again in the creation process. Let us make mankind in our image. Man, we could spill a lot of ink today on what it means to be made in the image of God, but let's just say for brevity, to have a joyful awareness of God. Animals do other stuff by instinct. We have awareness of God that produces pleasure in that awareness. So who is our in Genesis 1? Again, this is opening up a can of worms, but it's beautiful. If all we had was Genesis 1, we really wouldn't know who our is. But if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll begin to see our is an unfolding of the revelation of God that he is three persons, one God in three persons. And he lets us know that a little bit in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was over the water. So God would not, he nuanced this language specifically so you would see two persons there. God, Spirit of God. You already got two. Then, interesting, again, you wouldn't get this from Genesis, but eight times in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, God said, and then it happened. So wow, we, well, we, his voice does it. He doesn't think it, doesn't wave his arm. Something is a word. Oh. <gasps> Word. So we take that and we add that up to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. God can go. (laughs) The Word was God. And through him all things were made. (gasps) So now we have a third introduction of a person. God, Spirit of God. And the Word of God, which is later identified as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's why Jesus said when anybody is baptized, they should be baptized in the name of these, this three-person, one God, three-person God. Be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why would I bring up the Trinity today? I. I can assure you, not for the purpose of debate. And by the way, for those of you who say, it sounds like you're talking about three gods. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. God is infinite. The Son is infinite. The Spirit is infinite. So if you add that up, one infinity plus one infinity plus one infinity equals one infinity. The children loved me last week. Now they hate me. <laughs> He's one. He could be three and one. Three infinities equal one infinity. But the Trinity is taught in the Bible not to stir up debate, but rather to explain the goodness of God in creation. For everlasting to everlasting, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have enjoyed each other, loved each other, brought fellowship and communion to each other. And God created man that the joy of the Trinity would spill over to another. That's why he created people. 
that the joy that he experiences in community would be experienced by man as man enjoys the community of God and other followers of God. If you, so, so that's, that's the goodness of God and his generosity. I want to look at one more part of the creation to see the goodness of God. Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed, now if you go to Genesis 1, that's a wide-angle view. Genesis 2 is telescopic when God said, this is how I actually created man. The Lord God formed the man of dust from, the gra- from dust to the ground and breathed into his nostrils, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. So you're not going to find anything more tender than this, more gentle than this. So if you're asking me today, what does it mean for God to be good? I would say God is generous to create that we might enjoy his joy. And then God is also gentle. You can't, the goodness of God in Genesis 1 is probably maxed out here with God bending over, breathing his breath into the nose of a man. So when we say that God is good, we say that God is, is generous and God is, is gentle. If you really want to know how gentle God is, look at this after he created, on the sixth day of creation. This is in the ten, following the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments about how to handle the Sabbath day. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your, your ox and your donkey can rest. How gentle is God? He puts a verse in the Bible to tell you, let your animal rest. So God is good, he's generous, and he is gentle. There was a man in the Old Testament that was so hungry to see the goodness of God if you want to see a man craving to see the goodness of God, look at the example of Moses. He prayed in one day, God, show me your glory. I want to see everything at one time. I want to see all of your beauty. This is so good on what I see in the ocean, the sky, the trees, the animals. I want to see it all. God said, can't do that. If I do that, you'll die. It's like looking at the sun. How many here can look at the sun all day? It's too powerful. God said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one can see my face and live. Look at the concession God made. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Can't see my face, but I'll let you see my goodness. Look at our gentle, generous God. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. What a wild and strange verse. That's the kind of God I want to serve. Wild and strange and different. But a God who says, I want you to see my goodness because it's the greatest pleasure in life. So evidence one of God's goodness is creation, where we see he's generous and gentle. Evidence number two of God's goodness is in providence. That is his providing for the world. 
his daily maintenance of the world. So God doesn't just create the world and wind it up like a clock, like the deist said, and then it unwinds by itself. God is in the daily care of his world. We see that again in Genesis when God made Adam. The God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. How about this? Adam gets created, and he wakes up like a baby ready to nurse from mom. God's done all the work and planted a garden with his goodness to feed him. So the goodness of God not, is just not just in creation, but in providence, the daily care of his people. Paul alluded to this in Acts 14. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains. He did good. This is why God is good, by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And he, he does this over and over again. Every year, a new season. Right now, it's in the middle of the summer, and we're going to go into the fall, and the leaves on the tree will turn all sorts of great colors, and they'll fall off. But God didn't tell you, go gather the leaves and put them in a storehouse and then glue them back onto the tree next year. He provides for that tree by giving it new leaves in the spring. I love what G.K. Chesterton says about God's monotonous care of the world. G.K. Chesterton says if you've ever played with a child and you do a trick for them and you, or do an event, the first thing they say is, hey, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And God, with childlike amazement, says every morning to the sun, do it again. And every year to the seasons, do it again. And this is why we survive, because over and over again, to the rain and to the soil and to the crops, God says, do it again. Not just creation, but providence, his daily care for the world. And it's not just food that God does in his providence. Government is a gift of providence. Family is a gift of providence. God restraining evil on the earth is a gift of providence. God's guidance of our steps. I bet every one of you can tell me evidences of God's guiding of your steps, who you married, the job you took, how it happened. Last Sunday afternoon, or right after church, I've been counseling a, one of our, our students. They've been going through deep pain, deep crisis, deep grief, unable to connect to God. I concluded last week's message with basically five chapters of the book of Job on suffering. At the end of the service, the student came to me and said, tears coming down their face, I haven't really been able to connect with God in months, but last night at two in the morning, I read my Bible. First time, long time. What'd you read? The first 14 chapters of the book of Job. I, mean, I haven't given you a verse about Job in years. 
That Sunday, God had a college student here. I end with Providence on Job, and God had that student reading Job in the middle of the night. This is why James says, every good, listen to this, this is why providence is so important. Every good and perfect gift, see the goodness of God in providence, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change. This is the goodness of God, his daily provision of all the gifts we receive, all of them. Food is good. Friendship, work, prosperity, rest, recreation. Yesterday, I was with some friends on Lake Kiwi, college buddies. I'm, these are people I've been roaming with since 1980. And we try to gather once a year to see if we're still 18. <laughs> I could tell you this morning, I am so not 18. Oh, I hurt. But we finished skiing that day, and one of, my, one of my guys prayed, Father, thank you for your generosity to share Lake Kiwi with us. This is the goodness of God. Every good gift is from the Lord. Now, I want to conclude the talk today. I had two endings. It's like one of those movies with two endings, and sometimes the producers let you see both, and you pick which one. I, I chose this one at, this morning. I had, I started at 4.30. I, I got to decide. So it didn't quite really get to point number three exactly as I wanted. But I, I wanted to raise this question about God's care for us. Oh, let's just hear this from Kevin DeYoung. Whatever good we have or whatever good we enjoy is due to the gracious decision by God to communicate goodness to us. Sort of hammered that point all morning. So this is how we're going to end. Starting and land the plane. See how the flowers of the field grow. Not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? So I told you already, look at creation, how God dresses flowers, and you know that God is good. So I'm sure at this point, this is why I changed my message, I heard the suffering person say, but there are a lot of servants of God who grow old and die, suffer disease and die, are involved in accidents and die. It doesn't look like God cared for them as he did the flowers. And my response would be, God is not finished yet with his display of goodness in their life. Psalm 103. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. That's good. The wind bl- this is not good or not easy. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more, but from everlasting, but... From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who have been blown away. (sighs) So you hear people all the time say, God is good. And then you hear somebody go, all the time. God is good, all the time. 
That's okay. I mean, it's not that it's not true. Just stick it in, let it have context here. If all the time means from everlasting to everlasting, that's what it means God is good all the time. God is good because his love for his people, even when the wind and the sun blow them away and disease and accidents and old age blow them away, his love is with them. They are with him from everlasting to everlasting. On the seventh day of creation, God did something to tip this off for us. Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Why is God resting? Why is he, is he tired? Should he have not skied yesterday? God can neither increase nor decrease. It's impossible for him to be tired. He rested as a statement of what is to come. There's a rest to come for the people of God. He said this again in the book of Hebrews. Set this up. The Israelites had already conquered the land. They had been traveling to it for 40 years. They defeated 33 cities. They're in the land. You think it would be over. God said it's not over. There's still a rest to come. Hebrews 4.8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his work. There's not many sermon, not many times do I speak at a funeral without using this verse Revelation 14, 13, then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. They will rest from their labor. That's why God rested on the seventh day to tell you about that day when everybody will rest with him. You remember a moment ago when we wandered out loud? What about all the servants of God whose bodies get old and die, who get diseased and die and are in accidents and die? How did God clothe them? Didn't seem like he clothed them like he did the flowers. Well, he does in the eternal rest. Paul tells us this, our last verse. 2 Corinthians 5, for we know that, think about this from a flower standpoint. For we know that if the, the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. While we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die on a cross, to conquer death, so that we would inherit the eternal rest of God, and that is why God is good all the time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We see it all over the place, in, in the sky, in the water, in our food, 
in our recreation. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you for your goodness in your providence. Even, Lord, how you got us to this church. Especially, Lord, from the time we were born, where we went to school, who we met, certain phone calls, inclinations of our heart, protecting us from that and this, opening this door, giving us this yearning, bringing someone into our life to fuel this yearning. Thank you for your providence. And God, we do thank you for the care of the flowers, indisputable evidence of your goodness. They're so beautiful. And we thank you, God, for all those who've died in the Lord tonight, last night, and today, that like the flowers that you clothe so beautifully, you will clothe them all, God, with their new, their new clothing, a heavenly clothing. And from everlasting to everlasting, your love is with them. You are with them. And they see God the Father. They see God the Son. They see God the Spirit. They see the goodness of God. And their pleasure will never end because of your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.